This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on today's episode. Experts from all different backgrounds. We were talking to the sleep doctor, um, giving you the inside track on why our society is in a sleep crisis. But how do sleep studies actually work and what is the gold standard for sleep hygiene? And we were speaking to Kuya J. Tolentino, an independent financial coach. He works especially with the Filipino community, but was on hand to talk about building in some money management systems. Don't wait until January to get those good habits in place. Is society's sleep in crisis? That's what we're asking this hour with Dr. Mohamed Nami, assistant professor in cognitive neuropsychology and neuroscience, a sleep health expert um, from the Canadian University. So how did you sleep last night, Mohamed? Yeah, it was pretty well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say that I, I'm, I'm really always cognizant about the quality and quantity of my sleep. So last night was was a soothing sleep. It was a sweet slumber. Okay, now, I'm really interested in the topic of sleep studies and literally studying people while they sleep. Because how on earth are you ever going to get an accurate portrayal of someone's sleep patterns when you're in an artificial environment? Can you explain a little bit about how sleep studies work? So first and foremost, uh, it's about getting some objective, some real, you know, quantification of how the brain and body works during sleep. So we attach some sensors and the person is going to go through, um, I mean, like a very precise scanning of all those parameters overnight. And that is typically done at the sleep clinic, which is a defined platform for it. Sometimes we can do this as an out of center, out of center, like a sleep study at home. So it's a home sleep study. And we got different levels, different complexity of the sleep test. But as you indicated, uh, it's an artificial uh, environment. Wires and people. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So how, how close do you think you can get to, to accurate results in that kind of environment? So humbly, I've done like 3,500 sleep tests over the past 15 years. Wow. And I've had like only a handful number of the patients coming back to me saying that, we could not sleep well with those wires and sensors and stuff. So fact of the matter is that although the person is hooked up to those sensors and devices, but they can provide us with the least uh, required data that we go for. If there is a need, we can go for redo tests some of the time when we have the first night effect. This means that we do the test, but it turns out that we've got some, you know, uh, some some noises and stuff, mm-hmm. or the person hasn't had experience a good sleep quality. That's why we need to redo it. Mohammed, hold up your hands and wrists for me, if you don't mind. Yep. You wearing an aura ring? Yep. Your track. So you track your own sleep. I do. Okay. Yeah. Tell I me. Do. Tell me. Because I, I mean, I really like the idea of an aura ring, but for a while I was tracking my sleep <laughs> just through a <laughs> Fitbit, and it kind of annoyed me because I'd wake up and I'd feel okay, and then I'd look at my sleep score and go, "Well, actually, yeah. that was a terrible sleep, Helen, yeah, yeah. and you should be feeling rubbish today." Um, how valuable do you think data is for just you know? Your person on the street who just wants to keep an eye on getting good sleep. Absolutely. So practically speaking, they are not medical graded devices, but they are gadgets, wearables that people use to have a very initial rough estimation about how their sleep uh, is all about. And is it, uh, is it in a good shape or no? They are providing the accuracy up to like 30%. And you know, Helen, what we, what we refer to as a wording as screening. So we do mm. the screening 
as the very initial step of uh, seeing how the sleep is, 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 is on. And if there are some you know, derangements or some signals or something that w- it's going to be the eye opener for the need for the consultation within sleep expert, then we go for it. It's an indication. But yeah, there is an indication for sleep test. Now, do you think our sleep is in crisis? And what are some of the common concerns that you get coming to you as an expert in neuroscience and sleep health? Yeah, it is. We are facing a sleep crisis because of the competitive lifestyle and today's like 24-7 work. And the, the, I mean, the world never sleeps these days. And the people need to, you know, just catch up with the, with the competition and sleep and the need and demand for the work and the personal life. That's why they are just sort of sacrificing their time for it and uh, and the quality of their sleep to obtain better things and just to move on. Productivity you know? and yeah, go, yeah, go, yeah. go. Yeah, We're yeah, going to exactly. talk at what cost. If you're not getting good sleep, what are the impact on health, on your cognitive function? And of course, offering up some ideas and taking your questions too. One saying, I want people to stop saying I slept like a baby. Babies don't sleep. Don't let parents sleep well either. I know I would, I would like to sleep like my husband. That would be the ultimate sleep goal. He's the one that can fall asleep on planes, trains, automobiles, normally before it even takes off. I know, you can go off people very fast. Dr. Mohamed Nami is with us in the studio from Canadian University. He is Assistant Professor and a Cognitive um, neuro, Neuropsychology and Neuroscience Expert. Basically, we are talking sleep today. Just said there's more than 80 different sleep disorders. I can't even begin to imagine how you start to kind of pin it down. But before we talk about solutions, mm-hmm. let's talk the danger of not getting enough sleep, if you don't mind, Mohammed. What what kind of knock-on effects can having poor quality or not even enough sleep have? So the health consequences of poor sleep is very paramount and they're leaving, you know, detrimental effects on our bodily health, including obesity, heart diseases, diabetes, mental health disorders and cognitive impairments. So when it comes to cognitive issues where there have been very documented research talking about the detrimental effect of poor sleep on memory lapses, on attention problems, on decision making, reasoning, planning and executive functions of the people. So when they are taking care of their work-related responsibility or their personal life quality. Sleep is very central to their life. So one of the key things is that we are going to prioritize sleep for our health and happiness and success at personal life and work. But we're not prioritizing it. Uh, Very few. That's the reality. Obesity, heart disease, diabetes, mental health disorders. I mean, I think a lot of us would if we put our honest hat on, say we do tend to be more grumpy and irritable the day after a bad sleep. But if it is a sustained pattern of poor sleep, some of these conditions are, are chronic, really, yeah. you know, really chronic. Yeah. Can we talk about the gold standard of sleep hygiene? If you could wave a magic wand over the bedrooms of the UAE, what would be there or not be there to make sure we're getting a great night's sleep? So those sleep hygiene measures are apparently a set of recommendations that people got to follow. But there are like eight, ten recommendations. But the first and foremost would definitely be to get regular in terms of the sleep-wake pattern. So if we follow the regular schedule for sleep and wake time in the morning, this is the number one rule that we need to follow. And also avoid the use of technology, limiting the screen time after, uh, you know, evening, uh, I mean, by the evening time, or avoid the late, late night meal and also uh, just to make 
the bedroom uh, cool and quiet and uh, free from all the distractors and just be good friends to our sleeping environment or our bed. <laughs> so yeah, and use the, the sleeping environment just for sleep and that, that's an important thing. So we don't watch TV in the bedroom, we don't work on a computer on the bedroom, in the bedroom. So we just need to adhere to those rules and principles to just get clear with our sleep integrity and that is going to help our brain and our body to, to uh, stand a better state of health. We know that sleep is of the brain, for the brain, and by the brain. So we're nothing but our brain, right? So we need to take care of that. A message from Arslan saying, um, are the blue light blocking glasses worth it? Mm, Good question. We're talking there about not using technology. You are looking at the woman who will literally scroll until the second I close my eyes. So we're going to pretend I didn't hear that. But in terms of, you know, those blue light reflective or blocking glasses, can they be effective in terms of helping our circadian rhythms in our sleep? We can uh, use those things to limit the the negative effects of the blue light to disrupt the, the circadian rhythm because there is one chemical in the brain called melatonin. So the blue ray is going to disrupt the secretion and the metabolism of melatonin in the brain. So if we s- refrain from exposure to the blue light in the evening time, that's the best thing. If we're using the the those uh, you know filters this is another solution but uh the first thing to get into shape in terms of our circadian or uh, rhythm or wake sleep uh, uh rhythm is to get into schedule so when we adhere to this you know commitment that we have a schedule for sleep and waking hours in the morning this is the this is the first part of the abcs that we need to follow can i ask you what yours is what time do you go to bed and what time do you wake up at so typically when my work schedule allows, I would not never, uh, you know, go to bed after 12 midnight. And uh, I uh, prefer to wake up before 8 in the morning. That sounds pretty nice. Yeah. So I'm, it's like, like, I'm like a 10.30 till 5.45 kind of gal. Wow. What about length of sleep? Because I feel like, you know, we've seen all a, a big movement towards, you know, productivity. And I'm going to point the finger at Robin Sharman here about like the 5 a.m. club and this kind of fascization of as you're saying, being busy, being productive, making the most out of our day, and often at the price of sleep, what about the amount of time we get? And again, Margaret Thatcher saying, you know, four hours is enough. So that's one of the things that we get a lot as a question, how many hours of sleep do we need? And the answer is simply, listen to your body. So people are different in terms of sleep need, but if I am uh, like an average person as a like a middle-aged male, I would require like six to nine, uh, six to eight hours of sleep. So literally like seven hours will, will serve me very good. So um, in terms of the need for sleep and also the regularity, uh, there are inter- inter-individual differences, but there is a rule of thumb that people would require, I mean, like at, at, at least six, seven hours of sleep. What about those lions at the weekend? Not that I can lie in anymore since having, actually, since having dogs, then since having children. If I'm able to sleep until 7 a.m., I am over the moon. Long gone are the days until sleeping till 10 or 11 at the weekend. Can you create a bit of a sleep bank or does that actually cause more dysregulation? So the sleep death is important. So we should not deprive ourselves from sleep uh, uh, for a certain amount of hours. So studies have indicated that if we have a cumulative amount of sleep debt for 48 hours over two weeks, this is going to be really, really critical. And that's going to negatively impact our cognitive abilities, our attention and memory performance, our processing speed. It's mm-hmm. like a person who has been under the influence of alcohol. And the alcohol concentration is point, you know, 0.1%. So 
that is how uh, you know significantly detrimental sleep loss and sleep deprivation is going to be in the long run. Alcohol, also terrible for sleep. Um, lastly, I wanted to ask you, if someone who has been struggling with insomnia for years or sleep apnea, maybe it's not diagnosed for a long mm-hmm. time, at what point do you go and see an expert such as yourself? When does it get to the point where you think, this is impacting my life and I need answers? So people come out with the complaint that I'm not able to fall asleep I'm not able to stay asleep, or they would say, I'm not able to wake up refreshed and rested, Mm -hmm. or I'm not able to maintain my wakefulness. So these are the four key complaints that we receive from our clients and patients coming to our doors. And uh, the thing is that it might be some sort of psycho-behavioral or psychophysiological reasons for insomnia, or it might be like organic problems. So people who have disruption, of the networks in the brain, which puts together sleep and hypnic tone, they would find it very difficult to fall and stay asleep. And you know how many how many different types of insomnia do we have, Ms. Helen? I don't know. 14. Oh, so we have 14 different types of insomnia. It's not, it's not like, well, I have insomnia, then I'm going to have a sleep aid medication. It's going to do the trick. It is not like that. One size does so not So we need fit to all. figure out what is, yeah, what is the, uh, the root cause of the problem and how we're going to address that specifically. Last question. Um, Are there any podcasts or books, any resources, could be your own, for anyone that's do a bit more reading into the topic of sleep? Yeah, there are, you know, some periodicals that are being released by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. This is one of the things that people can follow. They can just simply go to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine website, or there are some notes from uh, Harvard Health and other things. Also, we have some uh, periodicals and also some blogs at Brain Hub UAE, so they can just uh, get into those stuff just to have uh, try to have a greater awareness about what it works like. That. And what about consultations with you? Are you seeing patients at the Canadian University? And not at the Canadian University, but we have the Brain Hub as a platform where we receive patients with sleep-related problems. Dr. Mohamed Nami, MD, um, who is an assistant professor in cognitive neuropsychology and neuroscience. And we're going to have him back in the new year because I want to come back to something he's just touched on there, which is about memory, because an awful lot of us struggling with that. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. January might be too late to get some good money habits in place. We're ending the year strong now with Kuya J. Tolentino. He is an independent financial coach and he describes himself as an overseas Filipino who specialises in his community, helping everyone listening today with some money matters. We're talking about building money management systems. First question, Kuya J., what Mm. is a money management system? How are you? Hi. Hi, Helen. Thank you for inviting me again. My pleasure. (laughs) So what are we talking about exactly? So a money management system is actually made because I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Atomic Habits coach uh, or author. I haven't read the the book. (laughs) James Clear, he said that we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Mm -hmm. And because of that, regardless of how good your goal is, you will always fall short because of the systems that you make. So in terms of managing money, it's really not just money, actually, but in life. If you have systems built for those things, it's much easier for you to execute. And you don't just focus on the goal, like the scoreboard, but rather you focus on the day-to-day things that you're doing to keep your money in place, tracked, and well-budgeted. And presumably, the more systems, the more 
automation mm. or the it, I mean we're all pretty lazy people <laughs> so if things are done automatically yeah. or these systems are put in place and mm. are you know pretty I don't say rigid but set mm. there's less room for error or failure yeah. is that a fair comment that's true yeah automation you, is is important can you give us some examples of of a good of good money management systems mm. that whether you use yourself or you advise yeah. clients on so for example you receive your salary yes. and you set up you set up an auto debit transfer to your savings account investment account and your expense account so by doing that it's much easier um, automating savings makes it easier for you to prioritize savings because mm-hmm. normally what people do is that they save whatever is left every end of the month but you know what happens every end of the month right there's emergency sale emergency <laughs> expense sale <laughs> <laughs> and so many things that you want to spend on and that becomes a problem you will think then that hey i'm going to earn this again next month so i'll i'll spend it for now and then y- y- you wake up 13 years from <laughs> 13 years from now, and then you said, hey, my, my savings is still at zero. So. I had good intentions. Yeah. I, this is a rare moment where I feel smug about money. And I don't, I don't do this. To, I don't know. I, I, I do it because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. Because I do exactly that. I've got, <laughs> I send about 10% of my salary into mm-hmm. an investment pot. Uh-huh. I put a bit in the holiday fund, which yes. is looking a bit sick right now. And then <laughs> my um, emergency fund as well. Yeah. I don't necessarily do an expenses pot. I just use my current account mm. for that if yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. what about debts and automating mm. paying off of loans and debts i mean the bank has a role to play in that as well yeah. but what can we be doing as well yeah that is a uh, automating debt payment is also fine because it helps you prioritize your uh, obligations because sometimes what many people will do is just pay the minimum and what they do not see is the the fees that are slowly piling up mm-hmm. and what they're really paying for is just the interest and then the other late fees that they have already incurred in the past. So if you have debt, it's really important for you to prioritize debt as well, like automating the payments and also automating your savings. Great question here from Ian saying, um, what if you're on commission or a freelancer or don't have a regular salary? Great question. That is a great question. Um, my income is still variable to this day. So you have to have what you call a hill and valley fund. A Hill and Valley Fund is a separate fund from your savings, emergency fund, and other savings goals. And you use that fund for months wherein you think you will receive low income. Mm-hmm. Let's say if you've been doing freelance for a long time, you should have already saw the trend of your income. And you can easily prepare like this month I'm short of a thousand and my Hill and Valley Fund has like three thousand. So I'll borrow a thousand there. And then once my income shoots up again, I refill the Hill and Valley Fund fund. Makes sense. Um, and Virgie's saying, where do you recommend keeping an emergency fund? Okay, you should put it in a high savings, uh, high yield savings account. Like, um, there's one in Emerson BD. Oh, is that? Live, there is like 4% or oh, 3 to 4, good. yeah. Okay. And then I also use a portion of my, emer- uh, sorry, a portion of my emergency fund is in Stashaway Simple. They have like 4%. Okay. So that, 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 that is still good. That's good. That's still good. Mine's, yeah. mine's just sitting, doing not a lot. Yeah, because if it's in the 1%, it's not doing much. Okay. All right. You've given me some, you've given <laughs> me some things to do. Um, I can't believe it. We've already run out of time. However, you are already helping us so many people with mm-hmm. your Instagram, with consultations. Yeah. You're going into companies and working with staff. Mm-hmm. We'll have a longer conversation next time, but I think it's a really good yeah. time now 
when you know people got a long weekend coming up to be mm-hmm. like, do you know what? I'm going to spend half an hour. I'm going to set up some automated payments into yeah. the investment, into the holiday pot, into the emergency fund, and it doesn't take long, and it's so much easier just to spend half an hour <laughs> or an hour at, at the weekend and then never have to think about it True. for for the coming months. In the meantime, though, Jay, what's the best way of getting in touch with you, finding you on Instagram yeah. and all that good stuff? Well, you can uh, reach me on LinkedIn or Instagram or social or other so- social media pages. And on December 2, I'll be having this workshop about simplifying money. It's about Money Simplified Workshop. So That sounds amazing. Yep. And that's open to everyone, all good? Yeah, it's, everyone, it's open to everyone. Okay, if you want to send me, send me the word money. Send me a dollar <laughs> sign. Send me a money bag. Um, I will send you Kia J's details. Um, a great resource. And um, I am going to, I'm going to, book you I think for January because our nanny Loretta and some of the nannies in our compound are really keen to mm. kind of get some get some good money habits in place for the year ahead and I know that's something you're really passionate about so can't get, wait clear the diary <laughs> as I said send me the word money to 4001 I will connect you with Jay Tolentino on hand as a financial educator and coach you've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast to enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.